Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. You are here for our minor league preview, and uh, we are releasing this the day after opening day. Uh, but we recorded this a little bit in advance, so uh, we're not going to be able to make any comments on the amazing and or terrible game that happened yesterday. Uh, with me, as always, is uh, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mr. Godar. As always, it's nice to talk to you, and I'm very excited about our guest on today's episode. Yes, indeed. And, and with that tease, I'll go ahead and uh, let people know that we're uh, very excited to be joined uh, once again by uh, Kyle Reese. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Uh, I appreciate the tease that led into my intro. <laughs> well, you know, we, uh, we like to build suspense here on the Cardinals Off Day podcast, and uh, I, think we, uh, I think we did that. Uh, I, I suppose I, I should have, I feel like you need no introduction, Kyle, and that's why I gave you no introduction. But uh, for anyone who doesn't know, um, uh, Kyle is uh, just really the best uh, prospect writer out there right now covering the Cardinals. Um, so you, uh, you may know him from Twitter. Um, you may know him from uh, Birds on the Black. Um, you may know him from uh, really, really all over the place. And we're just, we're very lucky to, to have you with us here tonight. Oh, I, I'm not as lucky as I feel to get to talk to you guys. Well, and I didn't mention Prospects After Dark specifically, but Kyle, you're, you're often having a drink on Prospects After Dark. So with that in mind, I did make myself a Negroni before we started recording tonight. I'm uh, I made it with the uh, the Revelton Gin that's made in Osceola, Iowa. Ben, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. That's a, a new one for me, but uh, that's what I'm having. Kyle, are you are you having a drink with us this evening? I am. I've, I you know I haven't heard of it, but I do love a good Negroni. Tonight, I am drinking a, a Moscow Mule. Um, oh. I've been. It's not in the copper glass. I've been drinking them in bigger glasses than that. Uh, so what I do with my Moscow Mule is I'll get a ginger beer. And I'll get some lime, and I'll get some Tito's specifically. And uh, then generally I like to put a little bit of that really expensive uh, Luxardo cherry juice in there. And I give it a little mix and a little shake, and uh, that's what I am drinking this evening. Oh, that sounds lovely. And, and I, uh, I wouldn't worry about the copper glass. I've always kind of assumed that the, the copper industry um, <laughs> lobbyists kind of created that. I don't know that it really affects the beverage that much. Uh, Ben, how about you? Are you you having a drink this evening? Uh, I am. I'm just having a beer uh, from the Exile Brewing Company in Des Moines, Iowa. It's called Lost in the Pines, and it's a a New England style uh, India Pale Ale, and uh, it's very tasty. Uh, it, it came out, as far as I know, for the first time this year, and and uh, I've been enjoying it this spring, and I'm enjoying one tonight. Ooh. Fantastic. And I, uh, I'm sure when this Negroni's done, I'll be uh, pouring myself a uh, Des Moines IPA from Confluence Brewing Company here. So uh, anyway, we got to We got to get sponsorships from these, especially these local companies, Ben. If we're gonna I mention. like that you I like that you called out big copper like that. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about really starting to pick a fight to start a podcast. Go after big copper. Absolutely. John Gant and Big Copper. Those are kind <laughs> of the two things that we have just consistently railed against here on this on this podcast. And we drove John Gant out of the country, so it's obvious how effective we are. Oh, That's poor really Tommy Edmund. Yeah. Oh, he's <laughs> we, we, we have not nearly as much animus for Tommy Edmund, so no. wish, him, wish him well. Um, well, uh, obviously, as I mentioned at the top, we're, we're here today to do a, a minor league preview, and uh, 
Uh, ben and I uh, live in a AAA town, and I know many people listening around the country are close to minor league baseball, or maybe they even just enjoy watching it uh, online, or just uh, watching all the gifts that Kyle posts every night, which is also a great way to consume it. So I think our hope tonight is just to kind of talk about what we can all um, expect and look forward to in the Cardinals minor league. And I guess just to lead right into a question, um, I think we all know some of these guys, uh, you know, Gorman, Yepes, uh, Libertor, probably at the front of the list. Um, you know, guys who I think coming into spring training, we thought maybe there was even a chance that these guys break with the major league club. So I, I guess my question is, what do you think is going to have to happen for those guys to eventually join the club, which we all kind of expect is going to happen sometime this year? Yeah, uh, Nolan Gorman has probably the easiest path to the majors in my mind because he can play second base. And I think that the biggest question mark that the Cardinals have from an offensive standpoint is what's going to happen with the middle infield between Edmund and DeYoung. So to me, like it's just a matter of here in a couple months is DeYoung hitting like anything similar to how he's hitting in spring training. And is Tommy Edmund uh, doing enough to hold down second base? Uh, so to me, like he, Nolan Gorman has the clearest path to the majors. I also think that maybe the toughest path to the majors now that Albert Pujols is here belongs to Juan Yepes. You know, Yepes is a DH who needs to continue to get better defensively, whether that be at first or third or an outfield position. And the Cardinals have just brought back a legend who uh, is going to hit against righties. I, Corey Dickerson will get a lot of those at bats against righties, but Pujols is still going to get at bats against righties and lefties. So, you know, barring any type of like major injury to Mr. Pujols or you know, maybe even uh, uh, Mr. Goldschmidt. Like, I think that Juan Yepes now went from maybe having the clearest path to the majors to having maybe one of the most difficult paths to the majors. And then, you know, Brendan Donovan, who was one of the last cuts here in spring camp, who is on the cusp of the majors. I just think that, uh, you know, Donovan has been one of my favorite prospects since 2019. I just think that he needs to continue to find his stroke. You know, I, I can almost envision a situation where, you know, Donovan would get the call for second base first because he's on the 40 man uh, as opposed mm -hmm. to Nolan Gorman. And also because he can play all over the diamond, you know, uh, hopefully he gets some time at short down at triple a, but uh, you know, he can play first base. He can play an outfield spot, a corner outfield spot. He can play second and he can play third. So, uh, you know, I think between, between Donovan having the clear path to the 40 man, I think Gorman has a pretty clear path just because of the potential for the offense to really struggle and the offense to need his bat and also his, prolific defense or what's become a uh, proficient rather defense at second base. I think if you're talking about the position players, uh, those are the guys that have, you know, the, the, the guys that people want to talk about that are, that are right there at the major league level. And then as far as pitching goes, um, you know, I'm sure that I'm not sure when this will come out, but it'll come out after the announcement of who the 28th man, who the 15th pitcher is. And that could be Connor Thomas, the lefty. Or it could be righty Andre Pallante, or it could be righty Jake Walsh, depending on what they decide to do. You know, Walsh is on the 40-man with this big curve uh, and his, his high-velocity fastball. Um, and then Pallante with three good pitches and Connor Thomas with three good pitches. So, uh, you know, pitchers always have a clear path to the majors because pitchers get hurt pretty frequently. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's hard to, like, differentiate which one would, would, would have the clearer path. But, yeah, like, uh, the Cardinals have – a handful of guys on the pitching side that may not make the opening day roster that could be a huge help to the roster within a month or two months. 
Oh, that's great. And I, I have some follow-up questions, but Ben, did you want to jump in with anything before I? Uh, no, go ahead. Well, and you know, it, I'm really interested to hear you say that about Yepes because it's funny. Uh, you know, I've been sitting here all spring thinking, you know, well, first, of course, thinking Juan Yepes is going to be on this roster. And then, and then eventually, um, you know, and of course, with the pools acquisition, thinking, okay, he might start in AAA. But as I, you know, once it was kind of announced, you know, or confirmed, yes, even with the expanded roster, they're going to have a, a five-man bench. And once I started looking at those guys there and I saw, okay, if they're going, if they're starting with a, a DH platoon, of Dickerson and Pujols, you know, um, you know, even if those guys are primarily there to be a DH plat- uh, uh, platoon, you know, Dickerson can play outfield, you know, Dickerson can spell guys in the outfield and, and Albert Pujols can still play first base. And so, you know, on a day that Goldie has the day off, you know, Pujols can get in there. And it, it just, it's something that Ben and I have been talking about ever s- since, you know, it became clear this DH thing was going to happen. We expect the Cardinals to use that DH um, not to have a dedicated DH kind of guy there, but, you know, to, to um, be able to shift some guys there, to give guys a day off. And, and really what that comes down to is anybody who's on the roster, even if they're going to primarily be in that DH role, really does need to have some defensive position they can slot into as well. So Yep has kind of started looking back at me too, and I started thinking maybe he just does not fit into the way they're putting this together. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's an off, it's a pitching staff, you know, even uh, extending into the bullpen that is reliant on the defense behind it. So the Cardinals, I would imagine, view themselves as not being in a position where they can uh, they can get away with having bad defense in any way. And, you know, I've, I've often compared to Juan Yepes' defense to Jose Martinez's defense, uh, and we all know what that means. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that it's, it's interesting because – He's at his best when he's at third base, and he's not really great over there. But you can tell that's where he's comfortable, and that's where he's good at. And it's, it's the rest of it's just kind of sloppy. So yeah, that's to Ben. I think that you, you know, you're reading the situation how I am, and uh, you know, I think I'm right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead, Ben. Well, do you? Let me ask you this, and and this is something that you know, we've talked about on our show and, and Ben, uh, previously, uh, on previous episodes and, and Ben brought it up here, you know, the, the era of the dedicated designated hitter, the guy who gets, you know, as many plate appearances, a a plate appearances as a designated hitter as like your primary first baseman or shortstop or what have you is, you know, it's kind of come and gone and there are a few who are still there, but they're primarily, you know, players we consider older. And so I'm kind of wondering, what do you think are Yepes's prospects to develop as a good enough defensive player where he's going to be able to play, say maybe in left field every once in a while or first base every once in a while, in additional to, in addition to designated hitter. I, <laughs> I don't think they're very good, honestly. Like, I'm not trying to – it's tough because, you know, I, uh, I have affection for that young man. I think he's a hell of a kid, and I think he's a hell of a baseball player. And I think – I don't think he's a bad defender. I think he's trapped in his own head, and I think we've seen that uh, on the base pass too. I think, I think he's not – it's not like 
it's not like he's a bad defender or below average because he's not a bad defender. He's it's not like he's a below average defender because he isn't trying and he isn't learning. I think he's a below average defender because he's trapped in his own head about what to do next. Uh, and that's you know that's that's that mental side of baseball that either makes or breaks a lot of kids. Uh, but again, you know, my thing about his bat is he just like he needs somebody to give him a chance at six hundred bats. You know, I, I know that's terrible, but like. He again. I think that there's a real world where, with 600 DH at bats, you're like, okay, this guy's just a DH nonstop. Like that. That's his role. But you know, to to your question, like, if there's a team that thought that they could get away with him playing first base, um, I, and you know, valued him, then uh, that would not be the worst direction to go because of the Cardinals' reliance specifically on uh, on defense. Well, and that gets at another question I wanted to ask, which is, you know, are, do do you see any of these guys as being uh, likely to be, uh, you know, trade pieces as opposed to, um, you know, ultimately finding a home with the Cardinals? It, from everything we're saying about Yepes, it sounds like he, he could be that kind of player. Yeah, and, you know, the Cardinals have uh, some unusual backfill at first base, right? Like Luke and Baker, who made a great impression at camp this year who can play defense and who does bring power, but maybe not a contact tool or a hit tool. Uh, you know, he, he's one of those guys that you could see the Cardinals being like, all right, well, at least we have this. And then behind him is another big burly left-handed swing swinger in Chandler Redmond, who can also bring the power and maybe has some questions about how he plays defense, but has played an athletic second base throughout his entire life. And he's just, learning a new position in first base and we'll see how that all goes with with proper reps uh so yeah like for him i could definitely see them moving him but you know the the other arms like they've never been particularly strong about moving arms it's never been something that they've they've ever really done you know they did it in the marcelo zuna trade of course uh but like even even trading for goldie they didn't really give up a big time arm i mean luke weaver was luke weaver at the time we were all fed up with him and we were all ready for him to go uh, you know, when you when you think about Arenado, it was Summers and Losey. You know, Summer was Summers was a tenth round draft pick, I believe, um, and who had hardly pitched. And Losey had command issues. But you know, I I think I know for a fact that they're not going to trade Nolan Gorman because they just don't do that. We know they're not going to trade Jordan Walker because they just don't do that. They don't trade their top end prospects unless they think, you know, like with Brett Wallace and Zach Cox, like they're just not going to pan out. But, you know, they obviously don't feel that way about Gorman. They don't feel that way about Walker. You know, uh, uh, I would imagine with a big question looming with catcher that Yvonne Rodriguez is probably pretty safe, too. So, you know, I don't think any of their top prospects will be moved or could be moved. And I don't think any of those, like, pitchers that might be outside of the top 10, uh, between, like, the top 10 and top 20 who are knocking on Memphis's door or uh, on uh, St. Louis's door from Memphis, I don't think a lot of those guys are likely to be moved, but you know, I, that's why, you know, Yepes is kind of the interesting name in this for me because I don't know if he fits in the Cardinals organization really. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, and, and the one guy we also didn't touch on there, and I don't know that he's a trade shit, but when I look at Brendan Donovan and, and Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. Have you not said that Brendan Donovan is the player that Mike Schilt fought Tommy Edmond was. That's what I believe. Yeah, look, yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't have the speed that Tommy Edmond has, but he has yeah. good speed. You know, it's not. You know, Tommy Edmond's. A, he's just such a really good runner. But yeah, like 
you know, he's not a switch hitter, but he hits lefties the way that Mike Schilt thought uh, Tommy Edmond would hit lefties. And he hits righties the way that Mike Schilt thought Tommy Edmond would hit righties. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of plays, you know, he, his, his approach at the plate when he's not trying to be too aggressive, when he's just being himself, is of a leadoff hitter, a guy who's going to get on base, you know, 34% of the time at the very least, not, you know, 31% of the time at the very least. Like, he knows his role and he knows how to optimize his role. You know, he he doesn't, like, that's that's his role. So, yeah, like, I think that to a large degree, if it would have been Brendan Donovan coming up before Tommy Edmond, then uh, we wouldn't necessarily be, you know, clamoring for Tommy Edmonds replacement. Well, and, and I guess what, what I just look at there is, um, you know, I think, you know, Nolan Gorman, this, this organization obviously sees as being a, a long-term piece and he's moved to second base now. So second base is his position, uh, you know, whenever he's ready for it, I think, uh, you know, Tommy Edmond is, is, you know, currently in there as the second baseman, but I think, you know, Ben and I believe, and I think others as well, that, you know, he's best suited to more of that super utility role, you know, and I think he's, he, he's very good in that super utility role. But from everything I've seen, Brendan Donovan also looks like he would be excellent in that kind of super utility role. And so at whatever point Donovan is up there, it, it, you know, and, and if Gorman's up there, I guess what I'm saying is I don't see a reason that you would ever have Tommy Edmond and Brendan Donovan on your roster together, not long term anyway, they, they just seem like a redundancy. So I just, I, I kind of wonder how they're going to sort that out. Yeah, I will say you can, you know, I feel like maybe I'm buying the company line a little bit too much here, but I do feel like you can never have enough versatility. And, you know, uh, if, if Tommy Edmonds going to continue to hit righties well and, uh, or hit lefties well, and Brendan Donovan's going to continue to hit righties well, uh, better than he hits lefties, um, and they all, both of them can play multiple positions, including the outfield, then it's not necessarily as much of a redundancy as it might feel like on paper or sure. that maybe even like Cardinal fans would want it to be. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you look at Edmund's defense, um, you know, and also the way Donovan's defense looks, uh, you know, we have we have less measurements of that defense. But when you look at their skill on on defense and also, you know, Donovan with how heavily right handed the lineup is uh, as presently constructed and will be seemingly for the next two, three, four, maybe more years. We'll see how some of these extension talks go uh, in free agency. But you know, he feels like a natural complement all over the field for this roster currently. And then Edmund feels like a player who you could still get playing time with uh, because of his skill on defense. You know, you don't want to do it too often against righties, but he plays defense well enough that you can you you can justify it maybe not in an everyday role we'll see how he does this year but uh so i agree with you i i think they could be you know a good uh a good bench combo kind of the way the dodgers used kike hernandez and the way they look like they might be using gavin lux this year 
um, but more complementary to one another. So I think that'll be really interesting to see. And I'm excited to see what Donovan brings to the table when he finally makes his way to St. Louis. Yeah, he has a Donovan has a little uh, tradition now of getting off to slow starts. And uh, he, like part of the reason why he started at Peoria instead of Springfield last year. And But once he gets going, he gets going. And I don't think it's going to be long before, you know, by the end of by the end of April, you know, he's going to be doing Brendan Donovan things in Memphis. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how they handle that, especially as the roster decreases from 28 to 26 come May. And uh, I don't know, it's just it's a whole interesting dynamic that they have there, basically because of what he brings to the team. Well, and Ben, I think you made a good point about the way that he and, and Donovan could, you know, could complement each other. And I think your Dodgers comp is right on. But I, I would only push back and say, you know, how far is Tommy Edmund away from arbitration? And how much is this organization want to <laughs> go to arbitration with a guy who's a platoon utility player? Well, he won a gold glove, Ben. Well, <laughs> okay. I, I, withdraw, I withdraw the question. Uh, but no, you're right. This is a time I, you know, Greg Garcia was, was let go. Um, they grew tired of paying, uh, a lot of players from the 2011 Memphis mafia, uh, call-ups and sent them out. Um, and so you do see the players who, who are not giving the surplus value that they want. Um, they are a little bit quicker to to let go, and so Edmund is is really in uh, almost kind of a make or break season for his medium to long term Cardinals prospects because you know if he's just a league average player, uh, which we don't even really know. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Um, but you know, when you get when you're top ten in plate appearances and and you're having that bad of an on base percentage, it does kind of make you wonder what his future in the organization might be once they have to start paying him for it. Yeah, I, and if I can if I can chime in, I, I agree. I think that there's the one thing that maybe separates Tommy Edmond uh, from from maybe some of those other disposable disposable pieces that they've had, which honestly I never thought of, and actually I, I love uh, is is the little things that he does that uh, that maybe make his that might help extend his shelf life, you know, and not not only being able to play out in the outfield or play multiple positions, but you know the little things that he can do on yeah. on, on the bases, uh, and yeah, that, I think that between the defense and the things that he does on the bases makes him for this team, not necessarily me, but for for this team um, more palatable, even if he's below average. Oh, I, and I think you're right, Kyle. I mean, if we're going to compare him to Greg Garcia or, or Daniel Descalso or, you know, any of those kind of guys, I mean, Tommy Edmonds a better player than those those guys were. So, um. Well, but they they also even, you know, now David Freeze is a little bit of a unique per, position. Um, but they're, you know, the, the more expensive you get each year in arbitration, it seems like they're less interested in you, especially if they have a cheaper alternative, because that's the embodiment of the wallet ball. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, that's the key principle there is why, you know, we don't want to pay Aaron miles. Here's Daniel Descalso. You know, we don't want to pay Daniel Descalso. Here's Greg Garcia. We don't want to pay Greg Garcia, you, you know, but then, 
the length of time they hold on to those players, it just keeps getting shorter and shorter, right? Like Descalza left as a free agent, then Greg Garcia left in arbitration, and now what's Tommy Edmond? And I agree with you, Tommy Edmond is a better all-around player than those players. But is he a good enough all-around player to justify paying? When you get paid for things like gold gloves that maybe you is not as prestigious as it once was, because internal metrics tell you how deserved it was or wasn't. And I think most of the metrics show that Edmund is an elite defender, but I, I'm just really interested because I think how long they hold on to Edmund kind of gives us a window into the front office's thinking about how they're valuing certain skill sets. And so I'm fascinated to see how that evolves, especially with Brendan Donovan, who draws walks. You know, like, (laughs) so it's like, he's a much more of a, of a, you know, leadoff hitter profile in my mind than Tommy Edmond. Like Edmond is like a 1986 leadoff hitter. Hmm. Brendan Donovan is like a 2022 leadoff hitter. So what does the front office think? And how does Marmol execute that? Because we see that Schilt looking at his, you know, gospel of Kessel notebook saw Edmund as a leadoff hitter and the leadoff hitter. And so how will uh, the new manager approach that? It, it's going to be very interesting to see all that play out. So Kyle, r- real quick, when do you think we see Nolan Gorman on the St. Louis Cardinals? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, barring an injury, barring that kind of opportunity, I, I would say probably no earlier than June, right? Because, uh, unless Ali Marmol is so much different than his predecessor, you're, you're talking about at least Flag Day, the Mike Claiborne Flag Day, before the Cardinals start to make any type of, of serious moves. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would I would suspect at least at least June, unless you know both DeYoung and Edmund are hitting like sub 200 with huge K rates, and then you know maybe maybe the the hammer falls, maybe the change happens sooner than that. But uh, it just doesn't seem like a, a big cardinal move to me to uh, for them to go to him any earlier than you know the beginning of June. And I, I would, you know, I would suspect that either Edmund or DeYoung will will hit better, and that the Cardinals will uh, utilize their forty man options unless you know Gorman's pushing the uh, the envelope so much that they don't have a choice but to call him up. So maybe probably later than that. But, uh, you know, even with the DH, I would say June 1st, barring, you know, a substantial injury to the, the two guys in the middle infield ahead of him. All right. Follow up question uh, from uh, let's say from from August 1st to the end of the season, who has the most starts at second base in your mind? Gorman, Donovan or Edmund? Oh, oh, oh God! Well, you know it's so tough because I, this, let me put it this way: If Mike Schill was a manager, I'd say Tommy Edmund. Uh, but I don't know what to expect out of Ali Marmol. I'm hoping it's it, a little bit for, more. First fun. of all, I don't mean to interrupt Kyle, but if Mike Schill was the manager, I would say Tommy Edmund would have the most starts at every position. <laughs> so. <laughs> and I wouldn't bet against you. Yeah. Uh, uh, no. So like that. I guess that's where I, it's tough. If it was Schilt, I would say Edmund, and I'd have no doubt about it. And I'd be. And I would also. Say that I more I will be more frustrated come the end of August than any Cardinal fan out there. Uh, I think with Marmol, I think the door is open, and I'll be honest, 
you know, I, if it's if it ends up being Gorman or Donovan, I'll just be happy that it's whoever deserves it. Uh, like if I if if it looks like when it's time to make, you know, say Tommy Edmonds hitting two hundred and he's not doing anything on the bases and he's not gold gold glove caliber at second, and the Cardinals are like, we need to make a change, and Donovan's hitting better than Gorman at Memphis. Uh, then I want that to be Brendan Donovan. I don't want them to skip him. I want him to get the chance to be your everyday second baseman uh, uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals because I think he's capable of it, and I think he can do it in an impressive manner. Uh, But say that it's Gorman, Gorman gets the opportunity first because he's hitting better and doing better things, then I want it to be him. So I'll say when it's all said and done that it's still Tommy Edmond because until I see – some of these forward-thinking ideas that Ali Marmol talks about and the front office talks about employed, I'm just going to assume that we're not going to see much of a difference. Well, I, I think that's a safe bet, too. I, I mean, honestly, you know, Mike Trout didn't didn't hit in his first call-up to the major leagues, right? Uh, yeah. You know, I'll always bet against a guy in their very, you know, breaking out immediately in the major leagues. So, you know, for me, you know, even if, if – oh, go ahead. Now, as I was saying, it's even more difficult for kids. We talked about it a lot with Tyler yeah. O'Neill, but it's even more difficult with kids like Nolan Gorman who have swing and miss. Like even if yeah. he, uh, even if he ends up dialing back the swing and miss, there's more than likely that means he's just not going to make as as strong of contact, especially for as young as he is with as few yeah. bats as he's had. So he still has a bunch of stuff to work out there. No, I agree. I mean, if I if I had to bet on it, you know, Gorman it looks to me like the kind of player that. In his first call up, you know, they're going to give him a a clean run of starts, but he's going to strike out, you know, over 30% of the time. They'll send him back down and then in short order, he'll be back up and he'll mash. That's that's what I would expect. Yeah, I'm with you. I I could definitely see that happening. uh, To me, the AAA is really stacked this season. I'm pretty excited about it. But um, I'd just love to hear from you. What are some of the things that you're, you're most interested or excited about watching at AAA this season? You know, my guess, every year Baseball America puts out an article where they talk about the, like the most loaded teams uh, throughout the minor leagues. And I would guess that Memphis ends up getting a little bit of play there between Gorman and Yepes and Donovan. And uh, then on the pitching side, Libertor and you know, depending on what happens with the the last spot in the Cardinals, fifteen man pitching uh, group between uh, Walsh and Palante and Thomas, um, I, you know, I would expect that that team is going to get uh, quite a quite a shout out. You know, uh, Avon Herrera will probably be there. It'll be interesting to see if Delvin Perez is there. Um, you know, Luke and Baker will probably be there. It'll probably be an interesting situation at first base. Uh, so yeah, like. If you're looking for maybe a high-powered, high-octane offense with some intriguing pitching, specifically on the left-handed side, then Memphis is your team to start the minor league year. Which, I, again, I know doesn't get into like a super bunch of detail, but no, no, oh no, we can uh, no, we can dig in from there. And you you gave us kind of an overview on a number of those those interesting guys that are gonna gonna be there. Um, I, I guess I think the, the highest profile guys are those guys that we know are are knocking at the door and many of us suspected may have even had a chance to break camp with the Cardinals this year. So um, it's interesting, I guess, you know, a lot of times we think about guys when they reach a, a particular level of the minors, what do they have to prove here? What do they have to do to move on? I don't know. Is there when it comes to uh, a Yepes or a Gorman, 
Um, I guess those two specifically, Herrera will be his kind of first go at AAA, right? So there's a little more for him to do there. But maybe starting with just Yepes and Gorman, what are you going to be looking for there from them? And what do you think the Cardinals are looking for um, to potentially move them up? Yepes is the easy one. The Cardinals will definitely be looking for an improvement defensively and also around the bases. And that's that's all that's, well, and I guess Albert Pujols now, but that's all that's really keeping Juan Yepes from the major leagues, which to me kind of sucks, uh, especially if he's going to be a DH mostly. But I also get that aspect of it uh, because the stats tell us that when a guy becomes a full-time DH for the first time, they usually have quite a significant offensive decline in the process. So it's a delicate balance there with Yepes and whatever role he might fill long-term in a DH spot. Uh, if he can't fill a couple innings in the, on the defensive side of the baseball, whether that be in left field or in first or you know hit the, com- the position he feels most comfortable at third, then uh, that kind of limits what I imagine the Cardinals would, would want from him, which is a little bit more stability on both the base pass and in the field. I would guess that with, uh, with Nolan Gorman, you know, he, on and off again now, he's dealt with a little bit of like a back strain, a back issue. And it's, it's just like a little nagging thing. It's nothing serious. But I think working through that is going to be kind of key. At the end of the year last year, we saw Nolan Gorman really cut down on his strikeout rate and up his walk rate. But it really came at the sacrifice of the type of contact he was making. In spring, we saw he was using the opposite field gap. And I think that that's the key. If he can continue to use that, uh, continue to cut down on the strikeout rate, continue to work the walk rate and also, you know, not lose power. Obviously all these things make sense when you think about it with all players. I think that's what the Cardinals are going to look for. Uh, All indications are that he, he is as solid now, if not better at second base than he was at the end of the year last year. And part of the reason why I gave him the edge on the dirty flirty as my number one prospect is because of how good he had become defensively at second base. I was a bit of a doubter at the beginning of the year. Uh, of his ability at second base because it was really bad. And it was even bad by the time he got the promotion to Memphis. But just in that little two-month taste of Memphis, he went from being you know, minor league below average to being minor league above average at second base, uh, working on some of the finer points of, of what it means to be a second baseman at the next level. So I, you know, I would suspect that with Gorman, it's just a matter of letting that, that approach that he has like meld with the power as, as much as possible while continuing to show positive signs at second base. Um, and, you know, like you said, those are probably the two highest profile guys. And we heard uh, Mr. Marmol yesterday talk about Matthew Liberatore a little bit. That was either yesterday or Friday. And he just said that, you know, Liberatore needs to get better, more consistent with his, his command, specifically the breaking pitches and also how he uses his fastball. So I would imagine that we're going to keep an eye on the velocity of Liberatore's fastball. Uh, the location of the fastball, and how he's spotting his off-speed pitches. Uh, and, you know, again, those are probably the three the three highest profile, you know, uh, of the group. Let me ask, uh, with Liberator, the thing that has stuck out to me, uh, and you've watched more of him than I have, but in watching him pitch, I, to me it seems like he is – really like a change up away from being in the major league rotation. Um, And so I'm wondering, you know, listening to what Marmol said and reading the coverage this spring, I didn't see a lot of discussion about that, but I, I felt really like the focus would be on his change up. And I know uh, Ben made the point and we tweeted it out. You know, he has a lot fewer 
innings pitched in the minors than Jack Flaherty had when Jack Flaherty made his major league debut. Yeah. A big part of that's the 2020 season. Um, but he's, he is young in terms of minor league innings pitched experience, really for a, a pitcher who is knocking on the door of a major league rotation. And I'm wondering how you feel about his, his changeup as we sit here today. He can use it effectively, and it can be a really good pitch. And he can use it specifically effectively when he's running that two-seam, the sinker he has that runs arm side. Uh, when he's using that, the, the sinker and the changeup on the outside and commanding it on the outside to right-handers. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's the big key for him. You know, he has a four-seam and a two-seam. The four-seam is really only effective if he's throwing it in the you know mid to high 90s. If, if he's not, then it's not that effective of a pitch. He needs to keep it down, uh, which he doesn't always do particularly well. Uh, but if, if, if he's commanding that four seam and he's throwing the four seam with great velocity, that 96, 97, 98 that he shows and he showed in the second half last year, which is when he was finally effective, then he can pretty well run his entire arsenal off of that. He can run the fastball up. He can run the four seam up. He can run his curveball off of that. His slider is his best pitch. Uh, he still struggles with the command of it, but it's his best pitch. He can run the slider off of it. And then from there, if he's running the slider off of the fastball, then he can run the two seam and the changeup off of all, both of those pitches. Uh, so it can be an effective pitch. He just doesn't throw it enough. And it never seems to be as much of a point of emphasis as either you or I would like to see it become. Uh, I think in his write up on the dirty flirty, that was one of the things that I said, I want to see him just like with Andre Pallante. Uh, they both have changeups. They both don't throw them enough, and they both need to get better with them. Now, Pallante's a little bit different because there's a chance he's going to be in the Major League bullpen, and if that's the case, he's probably only going to throw two pitches, uh, maybe three, but depends on who the catcher is, I guess. And But with, with Libertor, the ability is there. He just needs to find consistency with it, and since he doesn't throw it enough at the minor league level, it doesn't he doesn't have like as good of a feel for it as you would want. And And that's really my impression as well uh the the change up and you hear it time and again and and this is one of those kind of baseball uh truisms that i think actually probably is true is that it's a feel pitch and with that type of a pitch you do have to throw it a lot to have a good feel for it and be comfortable deploying it you know whenever you need it and being able to spot it and have it fade the way you want um, in in tough situations and against high quality hitters, and so I'm I'm really interested to see this spring uh, how much of an emphasis uh, Libertor has on the changeup, and so I'm I'm very intrigued by that. Uh, ben, are you interested in any of the other players uh, that we might have the privilege to see for the Memphis Redbirds this year? Well, yeah, just staying on the pitching side, I guess the one other um, kind of player or small group of players I wanted to ask about, and and, and Ben mentioned, yeah, we had tweeted out uh, a, a little graphic just about how, how many fewer innings Libertor had pitched compared to Flaherty. And, and the point with that was just, you know, I feel like we were sold this idea or, or chose to believe this idea that Libertor could be a fast mover. But if you look at it, you know, he hasn't even, he's barely pitched half the innings of Flaherty, who is really about the, you know, the fastest mover of a high school pitching drafty the Cardinals have had, you know, in some time. With that in mind, another guy, as I was just looking through the roster today and looking at ages, 
Um, and uh, Kyle, you already mentioned Connor Thomas and Andre Piante, who are guys that I'm really interested in and excited about. And I think the team is too. But uh, Johan Oviedo is, was born the same year those guys were. And, and he's, he's a year younger than Zach Thompson. And I feel like Thomas, Piante, and Thompson are guys we're still talking about. And, and Oviedo's name I haven't heard as much. So I'm just kind of curious, what are you expecting from Oviedo? And what do you think the, the team is expecting? I think we're both myself and the team is probably hoping that he took the next step and commanding his mind uh, just as much as his arsenal. Because we've seen, I mean, I've been writing about it since he was a chunky kid, big bodied, you know, six foot six. But I've been writing about it since he was a chunky kid at low A Peoria when Peoria was low A, that he would just let innings get away from him. Uh, his stuff was always good. His command was always, you know, iffy. But it was, it was like the mental side of the game where if something got away from him, it got away from him big time. And it seemed like this spring and just a very small taste, it was a kind of the same thing over and over again. I know that that was a major point of emphasis for him this offseason, but, you know, I, I don't think stuff is the issue, right? Uh, every broadcast that we hear when he pitches, they beat the same topics over and over again. He has really good stuff. Uh, it's all measurably good stuff. It all has good access. Uh, it all, it, when, it, when people make contact with it and he's commanding it, it's on the ground. He fits all of those little characteristic profiles that the Cardinals seem to want at the major league level, that they seem to spend money for. Um, uh, so I, I think that I'm hoping for it. I think they're hoping for it. But I, until it's practically employed, I'm I'm not sold that that's not something more than a middle of middle relief arm. Because again, you don't want a guy closing or in a high leverage situation that lets the game speed up on them too much. And what, what Oviedo needs to work on more so than anything, of course, he needs to get better with command, with controlling his body, specifically out of the windup. Uh, but he also needs to stay, and again, it's kind of a lazy thing to say, but he, you can see him unravel when things start going south, if he gets a, if he gets a bad strike call, if there's a blunder behind him, if uh, he walks a batter, even if it's not bad strikes. That's a part of the game that he needs to continue to work on. And as it, it sounds like kind of a lazy thing to say, but a lot of times – that's the difference in between being a major leaguer and not being a major leaguer, between rising to the moment and being a minor leaguer, being a 4A guy. Now, he's, he's more talented than that. His stuff is too good to just be a 4A guy. Uh, you know, it's the, kind of the opposite of Jake Woodford there, where Woodford might have that, uh, I can just live through anything and whatever happens, happens, and I get lucky sometimes. Uh, Oviedo has the stuff to beat it, but maybe he doesn't, he's not there yet mentally for the moment in the stage of major league baseball, because uh, I believe that that's what I've seen out of him more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I just, uh, I remain uh, hopeful with him. I, I think I've said before my, like anytime I'm looking at the minor leagues, like my, the, the one stat that I, I always look at that I think is the most predictive. If you're only to look at one thing is age relative to level. Yeah. And he's still, he's still young. And especially when you think about it, he's had significant major league experience at this point. He even, he graduated off the dirty flirty for crying out loud. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I, he's a guy that I, I just hope with his age being so young, at least that whatever he needs to develop, there's, uh, you know, he has the time to do that. Um, as long as we're, we're hitting on these pitchers here, Liberator, they obviously want him to be in the rotation, especially because, um, you know, the guy they traded for him became a superstar. Uh, who else among this crop of pitchers at AAA do you think is most likely to 
spend time in the Cardinals rotation. Uh, at some point in time, I realize some of these guys, it's probably not likely this year. I am all on board for Connor Thomas. I, I believe that Connor Thomas should have been the Cardinals' first option for the fifth starter spot when Jack Flaherty got hurt. I believe they should have started uh, uh, stretching him out right away instead of talking about bringing him north of the club out of the bullpen. He isn't sexy, uh, but what he does is he throws strikes. He keeps the ball down. He has uh, appropriate spin pitches. His slider spins 2,500 RPMs. His fastballs spin similar. The sinker spins similar, and he throws a changeup. He can use it in and out and up and down and all that stuff. Like, And he's kind of a workhorse and kind of a bulldog with the Georgia Tech pedigree. He's, he's worked through some hard innings. You know, because of 2020, he got rushed too. He's a little older than Libertor, but he, he kind of rose to the occasion. The only time he was ineffective last year uh, was when he was pitching out of the bullpen as they were trying to conserve innings. So in my mind, there is a world where Connor Thomas should absolutely be that next pitcher uh, that is called to serve in the Cardinals rotation. I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, he it seems like he and Andre Pallante are both uh, ticketed for a bullpen role, especially at the beginning of the year with, with 28 men. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how all that goes, but I, uh, you know, I think, I think I'm anxious to see what kind of strides Zach Thompson takes, you know, uh, again, we talk about age appropriate for the level he's older now, you know, he, he's, he's 25 years old. People see that number, but you know, circumstances kind of skew the number per age and also the age of a prospect at the level. Like it, it's, it's a yeah. tough thing, but yeah. So, you know, if you're looking at that team right away, then, uh, if Palante or Thomas aren't at the major league level to start the season, then those would be the two guys that you would, you would probably look at along with Zach Thompson is maybe having a major league future, but you know, Palante has a lot to work on still, in my opinion, I think he's going to be able to play up out of a Cardinals bullpen. If that's the role he starts the season with where that's because his fastball will, he reaches back really, really far to throw that fastball, which is a big concern for me because he changes you know, he's changing the amount of effort he's exerting. Uh, but when he's throwing it normal, you know, 94 to 96 miles an hour in the season, it's a very hittable pitch. But his curveball is 2,800 RPMs. His slider is like 2,400 RPMs. Uh, it's more of a true cutter than anything else, too. It works really well with his fastball. And, uh, you know, he could he could be a really valuable bullpen piece for the Cardinals almost from the beginning of the year. If, if not, then he's going to have to go down to Memphis and work on commanding his fastball and getting it by hitter. Kyle, I'm I'm pleased to hear you beating the drum for Connor Thomas to get uh, more of an opportunity with the major league team. Uh, he's a pitcher that's been on my radar, and we even talked about him uh, last year some uh, here on the podcast. Uh, you know, the Georgia Tech pedigree, as you said, uh, that is a very high caliber uh, college uh, program, and he's a high quality pitcher. And when you look at the pitchers that the St. Louis Cardinals have targeted, uh, really going back, you know, John Gant and Daniel Ponce de Leon and the pitchers that they tried to fill in uh, the rotation last year uh, seem to have left a bad taste in their mouth. And now they're prioritizing uh, pitchers and their number one priority seems to be they don't walk anyone. Their number two priority seems to be that they're more ground ball oriented and, you know, you look back at what Connor Thomas did last season in double A AA and triple A, the high minors, uh, 
you know, it's really hard for me to imagine what more he could do uh, to get a good long look at making the St. Louis Cardinals as a starting pitcher because he is someone he he goes after hitters, he does not walk them, and he gets them to beat the ball into the ground. And when you have an offense, or uh, excuse me, a defense like the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, that is a very tempting profile. And I think his profile fits more what the Cardinals are going for than Woodford or, as Ben and I like to say, uh, Verhagen, mm-hmm. um, who are the two finalists, uh, it seems, based on reporting. Um, although it sounds like Jordan Hicks might also be a finalist for the number five starter. But, uh, you know, Connor Thomas is a pitcher, I think, uh has a lot of upside in particular pitching in Bush stadium. I'm with you. I, uh, you know, the Cardinals brought in three different versions of Connor Thomas last year after the trade, you know, <laughs> after the second half and those three different versions of Connor Thomas saved their season. Uh, and, uh, this, this Connor Thomas actually measures better than the rest of them is younger and, uh, has a quite a bit of a prime ahead of them. So it does frustrate me a little bit that they didn't really give it much of a thought, but, this is the human side of Major League Baseball. This is what happens when you bring two guys, Aaron Brooks and Vahagen, uh, from overseas. Uh, and then you you also have Jake Woodford, who at this point is a veteran on your staff. Uh, you, you default to them uh, because they were part of the picture to begin with. So you just kind of default back to them instead of maybe thinking forward. But yeah, no, all those things that you said, Ben, are why I am... I am definitely on board with Connor Thomas in that role. I think that he, uh, in St. Louis, in that stadium, just like you said, he will outkick his coverage. And why I think that he'll confound both uh, fantasy writers and uh, devil magic haters uh, nonstop if given the opportunity. I'm I'm right there with you. I will say, uh, Cardinal-related, that if you're not going to run with Connor Thomas, uh, no disrespect to Aaron Brooks or Jake Woodford, or Vahagen, uh, 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 I, I would say, give me that Jordan Hicks one time through the lineup and let's see what happens. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I am 100% aboard the Hicks as starter train because for whatever reason, his elite velocity does not seem to play at its miles per hour. Mm-hmm. And so if you aren't getting strikeouts in relief from that velocity, why not have him take off a tick or two and try it in the rotation and see how many ground ball outs he can get? Um, You know, to me, that makes all the sense in the world. And it's almost like his stuff plays up better when he's not throwing it 102 or 105 miles an hour. Like this spring when he was living between 98 and 100 miles an hour, uh, it was almost like, Squaring it up was harder and tracking it was harder. And it just makes me wonder what hitters are catching on when he's pitching out of relief is like uh, the accelerated arm. Like, you know, it just makes me wonder if that's what they're catching on. And if he's not throwing it with the accelerated arm to reach that max velocity, if that's helping his stuff uh, play better, you know, against each other. Yeah, I, I would I would love to see him uh, cruise with a more pedestrian 100-mile-an-hour fastball <laughs> as a starter. So. And, and it also, it seems like uh, pitchers who throw 98 to 100 uh, seem to have a longer shelf life in terms of their career 
than the ones who are living at 102 or more. <laughs> and so for Jordan Hicks's career, you know, there, there is a large part of me, almost actually all of me hopes, you know, maybe he can dial it down, maybe find a role as a starter and live as, you know, kind of a Dave Duncan fever dream uh, for the next few years. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to live as a Dave Duncan fever dream now that you bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so talking about Connor Thomas and talking about, uh, you know, the, the team's recent penchant for, uh, you know, pitch to contact ground ball type guys. Th- and this is more of a global question about their system and development, but it's kind of coming up here. So I'm going to ask it. I, I have sort of what I've wanted to see them do is, you know, since they, they obviously, that's their philosophy for uh, the major league talent that they acquire. And I think it's strictly because they don't want to pay the money for the high velocity, high strikeout major league type pitchers. Um, but that said, it's made me think, well, they ought to use their, uh, you know, draft picks, their international signees to, you know, to try to develop some of those guys, because, um, you know, then you can, if you're going to get the, the high velocity, high strikeout kind of guy, if you home grow them, that might be more affordable. But I'm curious, Kyle, if you think that's what they're they're doing. I mean, there's a, maybe a couple guys still in the system that fit that profile, but I see like a Connor Thomas or Connor Lund, who I don't, I haven't really watched as much, but just from what I see of him, he seems to kind of fit that mold too. They look like you know minor league versions of the, these guys they're bringing in. What, what do you think they're doing with these? Uh, you know, what what is their philosophy for the guys they're going after there at the minors? Well, yeah, you know, I definitely think athleticism is a big thing that they look for. And I, I definitely think that, uh, especially now, especially as maybe a course correction, although I don't know if that's necessarily fair, because I think back to 2019 and some of the, the college arms they picked. But I think they're just looking for um, a pitcher with an understanding of pitching, even if it's a prep kid, who they think that they can maybe build some velocity on top of good stuff. Like, you know, it's funny. We, we talk about those big tools, but the problem with those big tools, especially with pitchers, is that they come with such big hazards, like big placards mm-hmm. that say, this is also very dangerous. Right. You know, even like someone like Andre Pallante, who is already a hot topic, you know, uh, if you would have told me when the Cardinals drafted him in 2019 that he was going to be hitting 100 miles an hour four years later, uh, I would say, wow, that's crazy. Uh, I don't know if that's the best thing for him. And while I still say that, like, they've reached that with him. Um, I definitely think the emphasis on keeping the ball on the ground is important. And I definitely think that maybe one of the things that they're starting to uh, adjust to is having somebody throw strikes. I think that the international market will always be the international market, which means that there isn't necessarily a type of a prospect that you sign, especially when you're talking about the 16 or 18-year-olds. Uh, uh, cause you know, they, they're in contact with those kids since they're, you know, pre-teens almost, uh, there's rumors, you know, not with the Cardinals, but with other teams of, uh, including Atlanta getting busted big time, but, uh, you know, uh, of coming to terms with kids when they're 13 years old. And then by the time they're 16, they're a completely different player or didn't, didn't develop, but you still have to pay them cause you've come to terms with them. And, you know, uh, the, the international market's a whole different thing. Well, speaking of which, as I go on this tangent, like one of the things the Cardinals have done really well is kind of shucking the tradition of the international market. Most of the success that they've had is signing guys 18 or older, right? A Rosarena, a Oviedo, Jag, 
uh, um, even Malcolm Nunez and Edwin Nunez, both of the Nunez's, like most of the success they've had, even uh, even, uh, uh, Winbin Cho, like sure, that's a whole different situation coming from Korea, working at a community college. Um, uh, Rob Raines did a great job of cataloging that. But like they've done their best work like mining the older side of the international market. And that's because of how uh, tough the nature is of signing kids at the age of 16. But as far as the draft goes to kind of uh, get myself back on track, they're definitely looking, it seems like they're looking for strike throwers. But at the same time, uh, with the draft being 20 rounds, you can look further back in the draft and maybe maybe they're looking for something that's loud as well. You know, uh, uh, they late in the draft, there's a couple relief pitchers that they drafted in 2021, one being Andres Granillo, uh, that throw with big, heavy, loud stuff. He's a relief pitcher, and he could make a quick, a quick ascent through the major leagues. They're, they're still getting those guys. It's just that right now they're trying to find their version of uh, what will work for them that they can get at the spots where they draft as, as vague as that might sound. Does that, does that like answer the question without being too vague? Yeah, no. And I, I think it's especially important. The point you made about the, you know, international signees just being a whole other, a whole other universe. And, and um, you know, particularly, yeah, we, when you're signing them that young, I mean, who, who, how projectable is anybody at that age? You know, it's just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, w- you know, we'll see. So, um, yep. uh, Ben, should we move on? I, you know, I'm, I'll be honest, double a, um, I expect Jordan Walker is going to spend a lot of his season there. So he's, he's of extreme interest to me, but I, you know, there's not a whole lot else on the double a roster that are guys that I'm really aware of or intensely looking out for. Ben, did you have thoughts or questions uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, for those of us, uh, who are Cardinals fans, I think Michael McGreevy, uh, is a pitcher that is on a lot of folks' radars. And I'm wondering what you see for him this year, Kyle. He's made a really good impression in spring training or, uh, you know, all the legit journals have pretty well cataloged that the question with McGreevy is similar to the question with Libertor. It's how will his fastball play up? What kind of velocity is he hitting with it? You know, he, he's going to need velocity to sneak that fastball, and he's going to need some pretty good uh, a command. And command is the name of his game. That's why he was drafted where he was drafted. I mean, his stuff is measurable. His curveball is measurable. His slider is measurable. Uh, the changeup change up and slider are still coming a long way. But for me, uh, with the, you know, no, the other thing to keep in mind with McGreevy, the Cardinals drafted him, and he was one of the younger college arms. So with, with McGreevy in particular, I would like – for maybe the Cardinals to be a little bit more cautious about being aggressive with him. I'd like to see them uh, maybe start him at Palm beach and let him work his way to Peoria mid season. I don't think that there's a need to rush him in any capacity, you know, for real. And everybody's writing about him now, but, and this is what I would have told you guys months ago, but the pitcher to keep an eye on from the 2021 draft is Gordon Graceffo, the fifth round pick out of Villanova. He, it, he's the most advanced pitcher in that class. Uh, not just because he's hitting 100 miles an hour now, but because his slider changeup combo is really good, and he's worked on a curve to incorporate into the slider fastball changeup combo. Uh, it was reported today at the Post Dispatch that he's going to start at Peoria. So I would suspect that he's the only one of the kids from the 2021 draft class that will be at Peoria. Um, I don't think like McGreevy's going to skip to Double A 
Uh, and if Graceffo isn't at double A, then no one's going to be at double A because that's just how far along Graceffo is. Um, but yeah, like to me, and this this will change with time, but just like Palante is the name to Palante and Thomas are the names to know from the 2019 draft. Now that they've kind of surpassed Zach Thompson, Graceffo is the name to know from 2021 because he's he's definitely surpassed. McGreevy, which says nothing bad about McGreevy. McGreevy's still just putting it together. He's still, I think, entering his age 21 season. Uh, he still has great command, and he's still working on some stuff, including continuing to find consistent basketball velocity. Uh, but that right now, there's there's a couple other people that have jumped him, and not because of McGreevy taking a step back or anything like that. Just somebody else took a huge step forward. Uh, I say that, but to pat myself on the back, we told you this was happening with Gordon Graceffo when we did the Dirty Flirty like months ago. Uh, he he has He's going to be something special. The question with Graceffo is going to be, is he going to push himself so fast that he's going to get shoehorned into a bullpen role, just kind of like Palante is as well? Um, I, I do have some things I want to say about Springfield, uh, but do you, guys, do you guys have any additional thoughts in, in regards to any of that? Uh, no, I was just just overall – and and this is a a question that I think kind of applies to Springfield. And then also with some of the arms they have signed this spring uh, because of the owner's lockout, you know, they've added arms. And I, I think what has happened is, you know, folks, just from a fan's perspective, you see them adding like organizational depth and you think, well, how's that going to help the major league team? Uh, because you see all these other major leaguers signing when if the lockout had not happened, a lot of these major leaguers would have signed months ago. And then so would have kind of these depth signings for the organization. And I'm wondering with how young the, uh, the Cardinals were last year throughout their minor league system, and you see them making these signings, how is that, impacting where players are starting is this is this kind of pushing people down and allowing uh players to have a little bit more time at the level they finished last year or or is are they still going to be as aggressive as they have been with with some of these kids i think all of these things are true i think that uh one thing that we saw is the cardinals have released a lot of uh some of their top top affiliated older pitchers, right? Like we've seen Austin Warner released. We've seen Connor Jones released, Evan Kuczynski. And I think that to a degree, a lot of these uh, minor league free agents that the Cardinals have signed have kind of taken that spot. But I don't think that it's, uh, I don't think that it's going to stop them from being aggressive with some of their, uh, their more promising pitchers. And I, I don't think that, uh, you know, at the same time, I think that bringing in some of these arms also gives them a chance to maybe pump the brakes, uh, and even some of like even like uh, Corey Spangenberg or um, uh, uh, T- Anderson Tejada, whose last name isn't Tejada, it's like Tejera or something like that. That doesn't match with his uh, his letters. I can't think of uh, his spelling, but um, like that even allows them to be maybe a little less aggressive down down the line. But when you have depth at the major league, le- or, you know, at the minor league level, when you have that extra little bit of depth, it allows you to be creative. It allows you to be a little bit more fluid. So. Uh, what that depth did to, to your point, Ben, is all of those things that you wondered and all of those questions you had, it allows it allows for it all to happen all at once when you have guys that you can be uh, 
uh, fluid with, you know, because there, there's no loyalty to someone like Tyler Pike. You know, that you don't have a loyalty. I'm sure with Aaron Brooks and, and Vahagen, it's a little different. Uh, but, like, other than that, like, you don't have to be loyal with Kyle Ryan. You know, you don't you don't have to be loyal with TJ Zook or uh, LJ Newsome when he gets healthy. Or, you know, you, you, can, you can use them until you don't need to use them anymore and everybody else can kind of uh, matriculate around them. Great. No, and uh, Kyle, I would like to hear, you mentioned you had some thoughts on, on Springfield, and I know that, like I said, I'm, it's, that, it's, just, it's not an, a, a team that's shaping up to have a lot of players that I'm either real familiar with or, or you know, have real specific thoughts on. So I'd, I'd love to hear what you're looking for in Springfield. Yeah, so this, is, this might be the team that has all the sleepers on it, which you know, has me excited. Uh, you know, I would suspect that one of my favorite sleepers, um, uh, an outfielder slash first baseman, big burly guy, left-handed swinger Chandler Redman. Cardinals drafted him in the 32nd round out of Gardner-Webb. I would suspect that he's going to start the year. That's where he finished last year. He'll start the year at Springfield. And, uh, you know, he, at Gardner-Webb, he played second, but he doesn't have that, like, body. He doesn't, like, he, I think his best position is second, just like I think Juan Yepes' best position is third. But obviously, just like Yepes, like, that's not where he's going to play. So he has a lot of work to do defensively at first. He had some really bad moments defensively at first last year at Springfield. Uh, but he can also kind of play. You can hide him in left field a little bit. But if you're looking for, like, a couple of deep sleepers in the organization, uh, I would start with Chandler Redmond. I think he was, like, my number 24 prospect or 23 on the Dirty Flirty. Uh, another one of uh, the, the outfielders there that's probably going to get a little bit of play is Matt Kaperniak. Kaperniak walks a, a fair amount and doesn't strike out at all. He has a really good feel for contact tool. He does most of his damage up the middle and to right field. He's a pull hitter from the left-handed side. Uh, again, Matt Kaperniak is, is another name I'd keep an eye on. He's probably best suited for left, but he can play right. His arm, he has that counter cable thing where sometimes he unleashes his arm and you're like, wow, that's really impressive. But then sometimes he'll throw it to the cutoff man and he'll like three bounce it uh, for no reason at all. And you're like, well, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. You needed to get that guy. You needed to get that ball on the chest. And uh, that guy took the extra base. So there's just some some little inconsistencies there, but Kaperniak is one of them. And then again, one of one of my favorite prospects, Todd Lott, first baseman outfielder, uh, who also made his debut with the major league club at spring training uh, uh, a couple nights ago. I think he starts at Springfield. He might start at Peoria. That's where he finished last year. But I think he's made enough of an impression that he could start. And he's a big power kid with some big strikeouts. Uh, but uh, he's also worked on his contact tool, and we saw him. With his really short and quick swing, we saw him make a little bit more contact, and we're hearing that he's making more contact in spring training. That's a positive. And then uh, from uh, from the hitters, uh, they're, they're going to have some really interesting catchers there. Like, that's where Pedro Pajes is going to be. And Pajes had a really rough first half last year for Peoria. He's a little bit bigger body. Uh, and maybe his catching, he has a really strong arm, and he fatigues out behind the plate. But when he's feeling really good behind the plate, he's a solid catcher. Uh, but he had a really rough first half at the, at the plate. Actually, it was only like the first two months at the plate for, for Peoria. And then he was lights out. He was one of the Cardinals' most consistent contact hitters for the second the last second half, last two and a half months of the minor league season. So uh, just from the hitter perspective, a lot of the, the, the what I would consider to be the organizational sleepers are going to be there. And that's not even getting into the pitching side, where I think a lot of the pitching organizational sleepers are going to be. One of my favorite pitchers, Wilfredo Pereira. I bet... 
Pereira is there. Uh, I think he was my number 32 prospect or 31 prospect on the dirty flirty. Uh, a righty who gets lefties out because of the run that he has on two breaking, you know, his his sinker and his changeup that just runs away from lefties and a slider that he just doesn't throw consistently enough to get righties out the way that he needs to get righties out yet. But when you're a righty who can get lefties out, uh, you, at the very least, might be able to punch a ticket to a major league bullpen. I, I think Pereira has that opportunity. Uh, I think that, you know, a Connor Lund, Connor Lund will be at uh, Springfield this year. We, we talked about him very briefly, but he's just a guy who says, you know what, if you're going to hit it, hit it. Uh, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, maybe he ends up being like Alex Fagalde, which means that he doesn't get much further than double A and he fizzes out. And maybe he's something more than that. Maybe he, you know, he doesn't have the velocity of Andre Pallante, but maybe he ends up being uh, the triple A version of Pallante. Like, the, to, in my opinion, sure, that might be like the least interesting place. Uh, of course, you know, the elephant in the room is Jordan Walker. Will Jordan Walker start there? Will he not? You know, for me, I see it either way. I would say that's the position where I'd like to see the Cardinals get aggressive. But I would also completely understand if the Cardinals said, all right, we're going to start you at Peoria. We're going to get you going a little bit, and then we'll get you up to AAA. Uh, uh, and then from there, they'll have to figure out what to do with Malcolm Nunez, because I'm sure Malcolm Nunez will start at Memphis uh, playing third relatively regularly. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's something that they'll deal with when they get to it. So, yeah, like it's in my mind, Jordan Walker starts at Springfield. I think that that's the right move for him. Uh, and of course, he'd be the, the anchor, the catalyst of the hype that's surrounding that team. But uh, what what interests me more about that team, including like right handed pitcher Jack Ralston, is a lot of those bubble prospects, a lot of those prospects that you might find in like like if it's somebody's ranking the top 30 prospects, some of the guys who might not even be in a top 30 or top 25 guys who are in my like 20 to 35 range. Uh, this is their proving ground. This is their, their, their crux year where we're going to find out more about them. And that gets me really excited. Uh, you know, that, that makes Springfield the really fun team to watch in my eyes. So sorry to ran on and ramble on about that, but uh, I think Springfield will be the team that when the rosters are released, people are like, Oh, what is this? But that's going to be the team that I'm going to have the most fun watching. And what what do you think, uh, you know, in the uh, Mercado trade with Cleveland, the Cardinals acquired uh, John Torres. And, you know, he had a not a great year in high A last year, but he, he accumulated quite uh, quite a bit of plate appearances. Do you think he'll start in Springfield? And what are your thoughts on him? You know, I've been trying to do the minor league assignments over and over again. And the two positions that are crazy are outfielders and catchers. Like, if you didn't have any idea where people were going to get assigned, you'd look at the group of catchers and you'd be like, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I have a pretty good idea where people are going to get assigned there, so I, I'm, I'm better off. But, like, the outfield position in particular is super weird. I, I don't know if... Torres did enough at Peoria for me. And he's still young. He's still only like 22 or 23. So if he were to start at Peoria again, that'd be fine. But if I'm the Cardinals, there's no reason that you don't push him to, to Springfield and just see what happens. You know, I, I have not, he's one of those guys that I have heard nothing about in spring training, like nothing, which probably isn't a good sign, honestly. Cause you know, I've, I've heard a lot of positive things about nearly everybody else. And he's one of those guys that I haven't heard anything about, you know, last year when he was at Peoria, it was weird because he got off to a good start and then he started hitting and then he went through like 12 straight at bats right at the beginning of June, I think. Wait, no, right at the beginning of July. 
where he just he went like over twelve with like four strikeouts, and then that was it for him. He started his timing was way off, and he could never regain what he was building towards. And I don't I don't know how to quantify that. I don't know how to explain that. Uh, you know, he he's always had trouble with his his uh, timing mechanic with his with his left foot, with his front foot, with his lead foot, and it seems like he just always has trouble finding timing. And if you don't find timing, then you're not going to hit plain and simple. So I don't know if there's a leg adjustment there or whatever. Whatever he needs to do, he needs to continue to work on. But yeah, you know, I if the, if you told me that the Cardinals signed him assigned him to Springfield, I'd say all right, good, um, make it work. But I'll be honest, I, he didn't do enough when it mattered for Peoria down the stretch for me to say that he's graduated from there. So, um, you know, again, if I was the Cardinals, I'd just put him at Springfield and say, all right, let's see what happens. I'd make him play center field every day. And uh, uh, if he's faltered out there, then he faltered out there. It was whatever. But I could see them starting him at Peoria because, again, he's not like he's not so far off the age curve that it would hurt him to start back there. Well, and uh, uh, one one player I want to jump on that you mentioned is uh, Todd Lott. And uh, I just want to confirm, is he related to Ronnie Lott? Is that correct? They're cousins. Cousins. Well, see, that's fantastic because Ronnie Lott was one of my favorite players for all those 49ers teams. And also, if you were using the 49ers in Tecmo Bowl, you wanted <laughs> to control Ronnie Lott as your player. That was the way to do it. So absolutely, he's, he's now vaulted into the upper echelons of my favorite Cardinals prospects for that, that fact alone. I'll move him up the list just for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, he, he, the truth be told, like, uh, he possesses all of those Ronnie Lott characteristics. He's a big, tough kid. He's strong. He's fast, and he's an incredibly hard worker. And he's also a great influence for for other teammates. And if and someone gets also... in his way, he will absolutely destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> but but he has not lost a finger while playing uh, professional sports. Um, no, uh, like Ronnie Lott had. Yeah, uh, Mason Wynn. Uh, do you think he he starts in Springfield, or do you think they send him back to Peoria? I think he starts back at Peoria. I, you know, he he struggled there a little bit, but this was also the first time this spring was the first time that he's been committed to shortstop full time, and there's been nothing but positive reports out of out of a, a camp. But yeah, look, uh, you know, he's just not as offensively as advanced as Jordan Walker is because no one is really uh, from a teenage perspective. So it's uh. You know, I mean, there's a couple guys throughout the minors, but you know, uh, in the Cardinal system, it's it's Jordan Walker, and he's kind of in an island all by himself from a hit tool. Uh, so yeah, like I, I suspect that Mason Wynn will start the year back at Peoria and get a chance to really uh, get his feet underneath him and and show some of the gains that he's made. Uh, uh, you know, since relinquishing the pitcher's glove and moving full time to that wicked shortstop glove of his. Yeah, and when it comes to Mason Wynn, he's he's one of the prospects I'm I'm most excited about as well, and you know he seems like someone I can allow myself to wish on as like Cardinal shortstop of the future. So I guess I'm I'm curious. Uh, first of all, do you think uh, it's valid for me to uh, to hold that kind of a, a wish in my heart at this point in time? And I'm also just curious if those guys kind of be- anywhere below AAA, you know, who else? down there do you think has the potential to uh you know to again obviously a lot of things have to go right for these guys that are a couple levels down but you know who else down there do you think has the potential to rise up to to become you know an everyday player to be you know the short the you know the cardinals next position x type guy 
Yeah, you know, I, I starting with um the starting with Mason Wynn, right? Uh, let's let's just let's start with him because he's so much fun. You know, like the thing about Mason Wynn is just like with any or not with any, because again, you always have Jordan uh, Jordan Walker as the juxtaposition here. But just like with nearly every um, teenage drafted player, especially teenage drafted player who is split time between being a pitcher and a position player. It's going to take time for these for that kid to reach his potential. But the awesome thing about Mason Wynn is that Mason is a hard worker who rises to the moment, who will do everything he can to reach as much of his potential as he is actually capable of reaching. Um, when you talk to his teammates, and I say this all the time, like when you talk to his teammates, you find out that somehow he's just one of those people on earth that make them better. Uh, make him a better person, make them a better teammate, make them a better baseball player. He just has that charisma. He just has that it factor. And he does those things on the diamond that separate him that other people can't do because he has elite speed and an elite arm. So you'll see him take a cutoff and gun a guy down at third that no one else could do. You'll see him uh, tag from first on a fly ball to the right fielder and, and beat it to second base. You know, he... You'll see him steal, you know, it's always different at the minor leagues as compared to the majors, but you'll see him steal 20 bases out of 25 times, 40 bases out of 50 times. He just possesses those those innate skills and those innate instincts and along with, along with uh, a personality that is infectious that you want to be around. And he's such a great kid and he's such a hard worker that to think that he's going to be anything short of an, a major league contributor at some point, even if like, say you look at his stats and they look like uh, Oscar Mercado's, you, you know, and when Oscar Mercado was in his age 20 season and you're like, well, wow, that's not really impressive. Like just give him time because it takes kids a little bit of time to get there uh, between being a teenager and also uh, splitting time between positions. But he's every bit as good defensively. Again, he, there's consistency issues he needs to work on just like with any teenager, but he's every bit as good as Pete Cosma was at that age. He's every bit as good defensively as Brendan Ryan was at that age, or Del he's better than Delvin Perez is right now, I would say. You know, Delvin just has uh, even more consistency issues to worry about. Um, you know, if it wasn't for what Evan Mendoza and Kramer Robertson could do in a consistent manner, Mason Wynn would be hands down the best defensive shortstop in the organization already uh, for a kid who is still trying to figure out exactly what he's doing. So, uh, all of that with Mason Wynn is to just say that it's going to take some time. Uh, just like with, with Joshua Baez or if Trajan Fletcher ever hits his stride, it's going to take that kid just a little bit more time uh, because of all the things surrounding them. Uh, just, just from like, you know, baseball, from a baseball perspective, nothing else. Uh, but if there's a kid that you're going to bank on doing it in the organization, it's Mason Wynn because he wants it. And if he wants it, he's going to get it. Uh, and that should give Cardinal fans, uh, you know, a feeling of comfort uh, because, again, I, I just think from a personality standpoint, point, from a, like a professionalism standpoint, he is definitely like on that next level. Um, before I like launch into some of the other guys, do you, you guys have any thoughts or any questions about that? Uh, no, I mean, I'm just excited. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I, I love I love what I've seen of him on the field and, and I just love his personality. 
you know, just even what I see on Twitter or little kind of interview snippets and things like that here and there. Uh, ben, anything you had on Mason Wynn? No, that makes me feel really good. Um, and so I'm, it makes me more excited uh, for uh, his prospects as potentially a starting shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I, I somewhere along the lines, I think with Ben Cerruti, you know, I you could almost see envision a situation in which he's, you know, of the of the reasonable outcomes for him, where he is, you know, again like Adiani Hakavaria or Hechevaria or, or however you pronounce his last name, like yeah, I I could see if things don't go like fifty percent right for him, if that's like his ultimate outcome, uh, but. I think there's more there. Like, I, if, if you're projecting on the high end, I could almost see a modern-day Raphael for call. You know, like, he just has that athleticism, that arm. Uh, you know, there's some things he needs to work on, of course. But, like, at the very least, there's a major league debut in there. Uh, and the best part about it is if he doesn't hit, he's going to end up being a really good relief pitcher in, like, five years. It's not – you know, once if they were to take the glove away from him in 2024, he's going to make a major league debut in 2025 as a relief pitcher because uh, his arm's just too good for it not to. So, well, you know, I mean, for a guy in high A, if your floor is either Aiden Hechevarria or a really good relief pitcher, that's an amazing player right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, yeah. you know, and Kyle, I just wanted to say too, like, I, I, I don't want to move too, too quickly past or downplay just what a great, you know, personality he is. And, yeah. and uh, because I, I think we sometimes don't value that as much as we should. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, I'll be honest, a guy uh, like Harrison Bader, my kids love Harrison Bader. Like, uh, you know, his, his, his style, his like personality comes through so big. And, and I think sometimes, you know, it's easy for us to get too uh, narrowly focused on kind of on-field production, but you know, those, those guys who have that, that it factor, as you said, bring so much to the, to the organization and to the ball club in tangible and intangible ways. And, and that's one of the things, you know, even more than his talents, I think, that excites me about Mason Wynn. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, he and Jordan Walker have a really good rapport. You know, they're not like best friends or anything like that, but they have a really great rapport. When I talk to guys who are like in their mid-20s that have played with them, they talk about how much like they like being around him. Uh, and how like they he brings out the best in them, and that that's something that you can't teach. That's something that's rare. And as a nineteen year old, he has it, and that makes me excited. Well, and that was something that I noticed just even looking at your your top five this year, Kyle. You've got Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker on there. You've also got Nolan Gorman and Matthew Liberator on there. So it's a it's a really good top five for uh, for friends, and I'm wondering should the Cardinals figure out who Ivan Herrera's best friend is and draft him? Huh. Yeah, I bet Avon Herrera wishes that Albert Pujols was his best, or uh, uh, Yadier Molina was his best friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, that's a great that's a great thing. You know, bring your best friend to work day. Yeah, I mean, if if they're as good as any of those four guys are, I would encourage all Cardinals prospects to bring their bring their best friends with them. So. You know, they're, they're two different personalities, but actually, uh, you know, Mason Wynn and uh, Markevian Hentz, they, you know, they played together in Arkansas and were on a traveling team together and, and they played together. And, you know, again, two different personalities. Uh, Markevian's kind of a quiet kid, but they, uh, you know, they're, they're close friends too. So, uh, 
you know, again, I bet if you talk to any of the players that have played with Mason Wynn, they're going to say, oh, yeah, Mason's one of my best friends. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, well, Ben, I, I, we, um, anybody else kind of in the, the lower, uh, lower rungs that you're particularly interested in or just questions in general about the system down there that you had? Um, uh, w- well, I think, I think a player that is probably, uh, of interest to a lot of people, um, whose, uh, selection, I think maybe made us all feel even older. Uh, than we may have felt already was Joshua Baez. And I, I was wondering, where do you think he might uh, start off things uh, here in the 2022 season? Yeah, you know, I I guess, you know, Baez has a lot of really big tools. But keep in mind that he's from the Northeast, and sometimes it takes those guys specifically just a little bit longer to get going. So, uh, you know, I would suspect, especially since he didn't get many at-bats last year after entering the organization – then he'll probably start in the complex league uh, with the chance to maybe find his way to Palm Beach uh, by the end of the season. Uh, again, like just like with Trey Fletcher, there's a ton of talent there. And uh, just like with Mark Hebe and Hentz, with Tink Hentz, like there's no reason to rush it just yet. You know, let let these guys, uh, especially maybe some of the, the less polished guys, let them get their legs underneath them. You know, Alec Willis is another, like, I'm not sure if Alec Willis, the Cardinal seventh round draft pick, who they gave a million dollars out of Colorado, you know, I don't know if he's going to start the year at Palm Beach. I'd wager, just like with Tink Hens ahead of him, that he starts in the complex league, and that that's perfectly fine. You know, so I, personally, I think with the draft day, with the uh, the prep draftees, I think it t- makes a lot of sense to practice caution with them, unless it's somebody like Jordan Walker, who you just you, you there's no reason to because you know that he's on a different level than everyone else. So, yeah, I would suspect that Baez is back in the complex league. And, again, maybe not the most impressive 2020. Baez is the type of kid who you, you'll look at and you'll see, all right, he hit 240. Uh, by the end of the year, you'll say, oh, he hit 240. What a letdown. But then you'll look at his WRC Plus on Fangrass, and it'll be like 127. And you're like, how did that happen? Oh, because in 300 at-bats, he had 15 home runs and 15 doubles. And, like, that's how, that's how he's going to be to start. And we might not see the full fruits of Joshua Baez for a couple of years. Uh, and when it does, it's going to be loud and it's going to be big and it's going to be fast. Uh, the the next uh, very low level uh, p- player that I'm wondering about is uh, Tink Hentz. Uh, by most of what I've seen, uh, they kept him in the complex league because they wanted to you know, keep him under wraps and, and monitor. Uh, what do you think uh, his 2022 might look? He's dealt with some injuries too. That was part of the reason why he only got like eight innings uh, down to the complex. But yeah, look, uh, you know, you don't have to look much further than the national rankings to see that, you know, Tink Hentz was at the complex league for eight innings last year and everybody still moved him up their, their, their list. And that's because while he still is wiry, um, which is, you know, a concern. It'd be nice for him to put continue to put weight on, but he's only 19 years old or whatever, so no need to rush that. Um, all of his pitches have good spin. He throws, uh, you know, not to default to a crappy term, but he throws free and easy, and he repeats his motion. Like, and he's super athletic, and he's super dedicated to the sport. So he's all of those things that we wanted Terrell Jenkins to be, 
that, but but better. So you know, Terrell Jenkins uh, uh, was traded to the Braves as part of a deal, uh, and uh, which is funny now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but like he he's next level that because he throws with more velocity and he has better command of a breaking pitch, and he is he's like it's just a matter of making sure that he continues to build his frame and refine a third pitch. Uh, you know, because at the time he's he throws a big curve uh, with some really great spin to go along with his fastball that he works up in the top of the zone. But he's also worked on a curveball, or he's worked on a, a cutter and a changeup. And it's just a matter of like making it all come together. So I would suspect that Mr. Markevi and Tink Hens is at Palm Beach. I would imagine that he's going to be one of the hot shot prime prospects that people are going to be keyed in on at the lower levels. And uh, he's at kind of that that spot where it's not going to take much for him to fully assert himself as a top 10 to 15 prospect in the organization with just a little bit of success. You know, what what differentiates him from guys like Edwin Nunez or one of my favorite prospects, Inahan Paniagua, or uh, some of the other arms at the lower levels is that he has better command than them, uh, substantially better command than them, uh, which, you know, for a 19 or 20-year-old in an organization that is now starting to prioritize throwing strikes, you know, puts him on a different track than some of those other arms. Yeah, well, he's, I'm really excited. To, yeah, I'm really excited to see what he does this year. Me too. Yeah, me yeah, too. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we've uh, we've been talking for a little over an hour here. Um, I'm uh, really excited <laughs> just about a number of these guys that we've talked about today. Some of them are people that were already on my radar. Some of them are people, Kyle, you're either putting on my radar or you're, you're helping me see them in a way that I wasn't before. So thank you for that. Kyle, thank you so much for uh, just walking us through each of these levels here and everything. Um, I know ben and I are excited about it. Um, anything, I, I, the one last thing I guess I did want to ask you, I know, um, you know, obviously you're, uh, you're doing uh, your shows. Are, are you, are you going to be gifting as much this year as you did last year? What, what can we expect from you this season? Yeah, that's my goal. Uh, my hope is to be able to provide the visual, uh, the the visual uh, tour through the minor leagues on as as nightly of a basis as I possibly can, uh, because I think that that's just as valuable as anything else for the for the fan base. And uh, yeah, that's my plan. We'll see how it goes. You know, uh, life's crazy. You guys know that better than I do, and uh, I'll do it as often as I can. Well, well, thank you for doing that, because speaking as, as one member of the fan base, I, I find it tremendously valuable, and I, I love following you, and you do such a great job of pulling those gifts out and showing those moments, and I feel like I'm getting to watch some of these guys develop, especially these guys at these younger levels that it's a little harder to see, so, so thank you for that. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Uh, I enjoy getting caught up on uh, some of the minor league action in the morning by bringing up your feed and just going through post by post uh, after you've posted, you know, maybe one or two dozen GIFs. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually, uh, you know, I end up having to compress those GIFs and usually uh, the, the free online compressor like stops me from compressing. They're like, you've compressed too much. So uh, it's usually, it usually ends up being two to three dozen GIFs every night. Oh man. Oh man. Well, it, 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 you put in so much time, but it's, it's very much appreciated by us for sure. So it's my pleasure guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Well, and, and, uh, I think we'll go ahead and wrap things up there, but, uh, you know, thanks to everybody as always for joining us for, uh, 
Cardinals Off Day. Uh, extra special thanks, of course, to Kyle for joining us again. We're so grateful that he comes on here with us and hope he'll do that again. And that is going to be it for us until uh, April 18th will be the next off day. So we'll have had a, um, um, about almost two weeks of, uh, of baseball there. We'll uh, hopefully have something interesting to say. So we'll see you then on our next uh, Cardinals Off Day podcast. Go Cardinals!